they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 10th day of February. It is the feast of St. Scholastica. St. Scholastica was the twin sister of St. Benedict. St. Benedict was the founder of the Benedictine Orders, and the front of the Benedictine Medal, well, the back of the Benedictine Medal is behind me here um, on the wall, the red red and gold. <clears throat> so we want to pray at the beginning. It's noon. We'll pray the Angelus, and then we want to look at um, Christ as the head of the church, which is his body, and we're going to look, start in the letter to the Ephesians, but it will take us in other connected passages. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray, pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ, our Lord, amen. And we ask the angels to join us here and give us light. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celi et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine, Domini, hosanna in excelsis. So in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us in his beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
in him according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. We who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you are called. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power in us who believe according to the working of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the first chapter. I I didn't read the salutation, but that's the first chapter. And in this chapter, Paul is pointing out to us what? The divine origins of the church, okay? The divine origins of the church. And who is the head of the church? It is Christ. And what is the church? It is his body, the mystical body, we call it, the mystical body of Christ, You know, when God established the church, it was his will, the eternal father, that a free and hidden plan of his own wisdom and goodness. He created the world, right? God created everything and he created all things through him and all things for him. That was through his word, his son. Okay. Angels and men and all creation. Okay. The eternal father seeks to dwell in it as in a temple. We read that in Vatican II, Lumen Gentium I. So God wants to dwell among his people and he wants to make his people one in his son. And, and that's manifest when Christ becomes man and then establishes his church. He calls men to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men scattered and divided by sin. What divides us? Sin divides us. It's not race or color or social circumstances. It's sin. Sin is what divides us. He calls us into the unity of his family, the church. And remember, the church is the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. And he says it elsewhere, too. God's eternal plan of raising man to a communion of love with himself was aimed not only at individuals, but also includes a great family of God united in Christ, the church. We're united in Christ, and Christ, the the church is his body. 
It's not Jesus came to establish the kingdom and we got his, we got the church. No, the kingdom of God on earth is the church. Christians in the first centuries said the world was created for the sake of the church. That was in St. Justin Martyr's apology. The church is the goal of all things, according to St. Epiphanes. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 660, we read, I'm sorry, that's, is that say 660? Good morning. No, it says 760. 760, that's what I thought. Christians of the first century said, the world was created for the sake of the church. God created the world for the sake of communion with his divine life, a communion brought about by the convocation of men in Christ. And this convocation is the church. The church is the goal of all things. And God permitted such painful upheavals as the, the angels fall and man's sin only as occasions and means for displaying all the power of his arm and the whole measure of the love he wanted to give to the world, just as God's will is creation and is called the world. So his intention is salvation of men and is called the church. And that's a quote from St. Clement of Alexandria. So in the early church, it was recognized that, yeah, God, God willed the church, God established the church, and the church is the mystical body of Christ, and it's the means of salvation. So God and his, God, even the rebellion of the angels and the fall of man, God uses this to show his power and his might and to still bring about his plan despite the rebellion of his creatures. The union of God with man is realized through the one mediator between God and man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. There's only one head of the church, Jesus Christ. In Christ and through his redemptive death on the cross, God unites himself to humanity in a covenant union of love and inaugurates the kingdom of God on earth, which will reach its consummation at the end of time. The church, or in other words, the kingdom of Christ, now present in mystery, grows visibly through the power of God in the world. That's from Lumen Gentium 3. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he left his church under the keeping of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he told his apostles, I must go, because if I do not go, the paraclete will not come. The paraclete had to come. And the paraclete is the instrument of his redemptive mission. By communicating his spirit, Christ made his brothers call together from all nations, mystically the components of his own body. Lumen Gentium 7. Again, that's explaining and fleshing out what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. That the the church is the mystical body of Christ and Christ is the head of his church. And the Holy Spirit is vivifying the church god father son and holy spirit this is the essence of our faith the greatest mystery of our faith is the trinity but that god became man to establish a church as a means of salvation don't go away we'll be back now back to bible with the barbers if you have a question or comment Call 888-526-2151. 
Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 10th of February. This is the Feast of St. Scholastica, the twin sister of St. Benedict. St. Benedict, the founder of the Benedictine Order. And then um, tomorrow's the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, by the way, the great miracles that have happened at Lourdes. So I'm using um, an Opus Sanctorum Angelorum fall circular letter from 2022. And I hope you all go to the Opus Sanctorum Angelorum website and look at the resources they have. They teach us um, the work of the holy angels is there to teach us how to collaborate more closely with our angels. Not a bad thing, right? God has given us angels and he uh, has sent the good angels to help us in our um, path to heaven. So we're talking about the church and the church as the body of Christ. There are other images of the church and they occur here in this letter as well as other places. But I'm reading from this letter, um, this circular letter, fall circular letter of 2022, talking about the church and what it means. And of course, the first of all, the first thing she said is the church is a communion of love. Why is the church communion of love? Because God is a communion of love. And it's not only a communion of love, but a communion of love and life. And it is the mystical body of Christ. And we have that so clearly here in Ephesians. And what we go on here to look at what, what Paul is going to say. Okay. So, um, what happens here? Well, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left his church under the keeping of his spirit as the instrument of his redemptive mission. By communicating his spirit, Christ made his brothers called together from all nations mystically the components of his own body. Jesus gives us his spirit and we are united by the spirit to Christ. And so we are mystically one with Christ. And so we have this in um, Ephesians 1.10. We, so, so the church is the instrument that Jesus established for the salvation of mankind. It is in the church that Christ fulfills and reveals his own mystery as the purpose of God's plan to unite all things in himself. And that was Ephesians 1.10, where he said, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in all things in heaven and on earth. And there's a cross-reference here to Galatians 4 where it says, but when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. We become children of God. We're members of the body of Christ. So God looks at his son and he sees us in his son and he sees us as his sons. And in Catechism 7, 72, it talks about this. It says, it is in the church that Christ fulfills and reveals his own mystery as the purpose of God's plan. Christ's mystery. Christ is God's plan. Okay. To unite all things in him. So St. Paul, and then St. Paul goes on to talk about this as the nuptial union of Christ and the church. And it's a great mystery. Not in the letter to the Ephesians, I don't think, but he talks about it in, oh, he does in Ephesians 5. Yes, he does. 5.32 and 3, 9 through 11. He, he's going to talk about this. The, the mystery of Christ as it's a nuptial union. He, he talks about the union with Christ in the church, that marriage, human marriage, is, a, is, a, is supposed to be an image of the relationship between Christ and his church. But nonetheless, the church is his mystical body, okay? His mystical body. So we have to contemplate this mystery. And in contemplating, it says, 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. You, you know, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what, you know, we're looking for. That we're called to be a praise of his glory, it says here. We're called to be a praise of the glory of the Father. <clears throat> and so we go on and we learn that what? God will be all in all. This was the point, that God would be all in all, that all of our whole life on this earth would be oriented toward God. What happened in sin? When God made man, God made us oriented toward himself. He made man in the state of grace. You know, Adam and Eve were immaculately created. They had no sin. God gave them grace. He gave them gifts that were above and beyond their nature, preternatural gifts, not being sick, the gift of infused knowledge, the gift of grace in their soul, the gift of integrity, where all the faculties of their body were perfectly subject to the faculties of their soul, the intellect and the will, the intellect recognizing God as the true good, the will thereby because the intellect recognizes God as the true good, choosing only God, God first above all other things. And God gave these gifts and Adam and Eve turned away from God. They were oriented toward God when God made them. And then they let, the, they let the enemy deceive them. They let the devil deceive them. And they turned away from God. They lost their trust in God. And they turned away. And now they're oriented away from God. So we, when we're born, because of original sin, we're oriented away from God. Adam and Eve couldn't pass on to us what they didn't have. And when they sinned, they lost grace. So yes, that sin was mortal. It was a free choice. They didn't sin out of fear. Not out of the emotion of fear, because if, if, it was, if, if your choice is overruled by the emotion of fear, then you're not making a free human choice. They made a free human choice. It was their choice. They made an act of the will that was free. And they turned away from God. So, but God doesn't abandon them. You know, God could have, but what, what, is, what does it say here? So God would be all in all. Because in him dwells the fullness of Godhead, bodily. And that's in Colossians 2, 9. The fullness of Godhead dwells in, in Christ bodily. And so in Colossians, Colossians 2, Paul is talking about, um, you know, in the, the Hebrews had to follow all of these dietary laws and laws of the, the circumcision and laws of sacrifice in the temple. And, and um, Paul is you know, we've already had the Council of Jerusalem. Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. They don't have to follow these laws because the new dispensation in Christ is not bound up in the temple in terms of the sac animal sacrifices or circumcision or in the dietary laws. It's bound up in loving God and loving our neighbor and keeping the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, all right? And so he's warning them, the, the Colossians, that they, they shouldn't go back to this, it's not, it's not a freedom to go back and accept this Old Testament, some of, the, some of the things of the Old Testament that were provisional. And he says, um, by doing so, they, these people in, in verse 19 in Colossians 2, he says, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with growth that is from God. So the body, the church, is Christ's body, and Christ is the head. And that, by the way, in there, in 
Colossians 2.19, he puts the word head with a capital H. He's referring to Jesus Christ. He is the head of his body. And it's only if we stay united to the, the head that we are going to be able to grow in the grace of God. So we want to stay united to him. The Old Testament, he says in Colossians 17, two, verse, excuse me, Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, that these things, the dietary laws, the circumcision, the temple sacrifice, these are only shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So our salvation is in Christ Jesus. He is the one who brings our salvation. And he does this through his church. So Christ because the fullness of God had dwells in him bodily, as it says in Colossians 2.9. So Christ fills the church, which is his body and his fullness with his divine gifts. And again, that's Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, which say, and he put all things under his feet and he made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. He puts all things under his feet. That's a, that's a quote from Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verse 6. Remember the psalm? When it's talking about all the things that God made and, and the glory of God, and then it says, what is man that you should be mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should care for him? Yet you have made him little less than a God. And you have put all things under his feet. You can re read Psalm 8. And so in this letter to the Ephesians, this is, we are to be united to Christ and he is the head of his church. And in his headship, we find our salvation, okay? And the thing is, that's so that the church can expand to reach all of the fullness of God. And we read in Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And again, what is the focus? To love. To love, to love, to love. Are the doctrines of our faith important? Absolutely, because God revealed them. But doctrines without love cannot save us. Remember what Paul says in Corinthians? If you were to give your body over to be burned, if you were to sell everything you had and give it to the poor, if you could speak with the tongues of men and angels, if you could preach like nobody else ever preached, but you have not love, it means nothing. Love. We need to allow the love of God to live in us and through us. This is what Christ did. It's interesting. When Jesus came, he didn't spend his time warning people about the devil. He spent his time preaching the good news. And what did he say first? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus establishes his church as a means of grace for all time. Okay? He established, remember in the Old Testament, God chose a specific people. And among that, in that specific people, he established an order of worship. And he established a priesthood. And so in the New Testament, when he, th those Old Testament things are shadows. Christ is the fullness. He is the fulfillment. But Christ is here on this earth 
for a time. He lives his earthly life, and then he leaves, and he sends his spirit to vivify the church, to indwell the church, and to vivify every member of the church, and to unite us in one, to make us one body in Christ. But within that church, Jesus established means of grace. We cannot save ourselves. And Catholics, if they know what the church teaches, do not believe that we save ourselves. And they also don't believe that it's our works that save us. We are saved by grace, through faith, working in love. If you read Galatians, if you summarize it there, we're saved by grace, through faith, working in love. But the works are not unimportant. And he's not talking about the works of the law. He's not talking about circumcision and dietary laws and um, temple sacrifice, animal sacrifice in the temple, or even grain sacrifice. He's talking about the sacraments and living in the grace of God and lots more that I will talk about on the other side of the break. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you do share it with all your friends and family. Let everybody know there's a Catholic Bible study. Invite them. I don't care what, you know, what denomination they belong to. They're welcome on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, um, February the 10th, 2023. We're talking about Christ that is the head of his body, the church. And I said there were other passages other than Ephesians, and I've mentioned a couple of those, um, Galatians and Colossians. And there's also Romans 12, 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we want to go on and talk also uh, more about what this means. What is the church and what, how do we live this out? And, and um, this high calling to which we are called to be members of Christ. Jesus Christ is the son of God incarnate. And so we're called to live a life of union with God. The second Vatican council teaches that the church as the body of Christ is in Christ like a sacrament, a sign and an instrument that is, of communion with God and of unity of the whole human race. So it's not not one of the seven sacraments, but it is a sign, an instrument. It's a sign that actually causes, it becomes an instrument of communion with God. And because of that communion with God, we're united together. There's only one thing that separates us, Sin. If we give ourselves to Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the one thing that separates us is sin. It's sin. So we want to give up sin so we're not separated from Christ or from each other. The church is not a sacrament in the common sense, but in the sense that through her seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, first holy communion, penance, matrimony, baptism, confirmation, Holy Eucharist, penance, matrimony, holy orders, and extremunction. Okay, through her seven sacraments, the Holy Spirit spreads the grace of Christ, the head, 
through the church, which is his body. So it's the Holy Spirit who vivifies through grace, the church. And, and the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. The church then both constitutes and communicates the invisible grace she signifies. It is in this an analogical sense that the church is called a sacrament. Okay, not a sacrament in the sense of one of the seven sacraments that Christ established as outward signs of grace that he gives us through his church. Since the church unites men to God in Christ, she is also the instrument which unites them with one another. In her, this unity has already begun since she gathers men from every race, nation, from all tribes, peoples, and tongues, Revelation 7, 9. At the same time, the church is the sign and instrument and first beginning of the full realization of the unity yet to come in heaven. Remember, the perfect unity will be in heaven, okay? The perfect unity. And Paul goes on in Ephesians here. He talks about our unity, okay? So it is, um, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, right, that Christ in his spirit, and this is Ephesians 3. Let me read from verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be you being rooted and grounded in love, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the third chapter of Ephesians, verses 14. Through, through 19, so that we will know God. We'll be, full, we'll be filled with the fullness of God by this knowledge to know him. But what, what is the purpose of this knowledge? Is it just so that I can be elated and I can be above everybody else? And um, uh, I was listening to a talk yesterday and they were talking about how um, when St. Francis Xavier, I was, someone was speaking to me, they're reading the life of St. Francis Xavier. And when St. Francis Xavier went to India, the Brahmas told him, well, you know, the, the little people, the, the, these, these people aren't enlightened enough. They, they can't know the secret secrets that there's only one God. So they have all these little people, all the, and, and France, and, but the Brahmas won't reveal to them that there's only one God because, oh, they have to be enlightened. They have to go through so much, you know, whatever. Um, they believe reincarnation. It's a false teaching. But, but what Francis Xavier did, and this is why the people loved him, and so many of the people, the common people, Converted to the faith is because he talked about the love of God poured out for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That God loves us and he wants to draw us into that love relationship, okay? And so what does Paul talk about in Ephesians 4? He, this unit, he wants unity in the church and how does this work out? How does it play out? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all lowliness and meekness with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called 
to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. But the but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Christ, he ascended on high, right? And took a host of captives captive. What does that mean? And he gives gifts to men. Well, to say that he ascended means that first he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is he who also ascends far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And his gifts were this, that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children tossed back and forth and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men, by their deceitful and crafty wires, wiles, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint with which is supplied, which each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. He uses the analogy of the body and he talks about Christ as the head of the body. And just like if I break a bone or if I get some disease, um, you know, it, it disrupts the unity of my body. It, it causes pain. It causes suffering. So we too, and what is it? What does he tell us at the beginning of chapter four to strive for? We are supposed to be, um, we're to walk in a worthy manner of our calling in all lowliness, meekness, with patience, forbearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we're supposed to be at peace with one another. And what happens oftentimes is we bicker with one another. And because we, we want something and we didn't get it, or we want people to act a certain way and they didn't, and we want to have control over the behavior of others. And these things are not of Christ. This is from our sinful nature. We need to really strive to overcome the weakness in us that comes from concupiscence, okay? Concupiscence is that disorder that resulted when we lost the gift of integrity. Integrity didn't belong to us by nature. It was a free, unmerited gift. And when man sinned, he lost it. So all the faculties of our body have their own favorite food. Our stomach, you know, our taste buds want to taste good food. Our stomach needs to eat. We need to rest. We need, our eyes want to see beautiful things. Our ears want to hear beautiful sounds. All of our 11 emotions have their own favorite food. And they were all created for a purpose. You know, the emotion of anger was made by God to move the just man to correct injustice. But oftentimes when we see injustice, um, sometimes it's not injustice. It's my pride was hurt because somebody said something to me that hurt me. So it's not an injustice that I need to correct. But if I see an injustice, a real injustice, like the crime of abortion, the crime of telling people that, um, you know, they can divorce and remarry. 
because that disrupts the family and it disrupts society and it disrupts the church. We need to strive to keep our marriages holy. And, and, and if, you know, as Paul says in his letter that, you know, he'll say here in Ephesians, he talks about that, um, the, the, the Christian household. Christians are supposed to be an image. The Christian family is supposed to be an image of the inner life of the Trinity. There's no infighting in the Trinity. So we, we strive to keep our marriages holy because they are supposed to be a sign of the inner life of the Trinity and a sign of the relationship between Christ and his church. He says of marriage, it is a great mystery. I mean that it refers to Christ and his church. So husbands, love your wives. But husbands and wives, be mutually subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself as his, its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything of that sort, so she may be holy without blemish. I have to take a break here. This is just too much good stuff. Don't go away. Please have everybody join us here. Let people know. Virgin Most Powerful Radio has a Bible study. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 10th day of February 2023. Thank you to all the radio stations who pick us up. Thank you to um, Rumble and um, Facebook. Uh, we're, we're available there. Uh, we also have our own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. We have our own app on a smartphone. You can listen there. Please let all your family and friends know we have this Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're trying to help people to grow in their faith. This is the desire to, to help us all to grow in our faith and most especially to grow in our love. You know, we, we have to have love. We, our faith has to be animated by love. So we want to ask the Holy Spirit to animate our faith with great love and our hope. We have hope, faith, hope, and charity. In the end, these things last, but the greatest of these is love. So we want that great charity that desires the salvation of everyone we meet. And you know, it's not, it's not about saying, oh, those horrible people out there in the world who are doing all these horrible things. Well, Lord, just let them go to hell. No, that's the judgment. If we make that judgment on others, we're asking Christ to judge us the same way. So we want to judge one another in love. We judge the action, not the person. We don't know the cult, the culpability or the guilt of the individual person who commits a particular action, but we can judge if the action is right or wrong. Does the action go against the natural law, Does the law, which God himself established, the natural law? Does the action go against the Ten Commandments? Well, then, yeah, then it's a wrong action. Now, the person may not know it, but hopefully they can learn it and they can be taught. Um, so, that people know the truth and are set free. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, the truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
It's only the truth that sets us free. Lies do not set us free. They enslave us. And that's what he said about the devil. He said the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. By the way, Jesus unites the two things together, liar and murderer. So as members of his body, the church, we want to live this love relationship with God. We want to be in relationship with God in a loving relationship, but a loving relationship that doesn't exclude other people, even difficult people in our lives. We want to pray for them. That doesn't mean we have to let people abuse us and beat us up, okay? But we want to pray for them and ask the Lord to enlighten their hearts with this love so that they can know that they're loved. Oftentimes when people are mean or nasty or angry, it's because something happened to them when they were little and, and they, they're just, they haven't quite gotten over it. And, and so they, they keep fighting everybody. And, and it's like, no, it's okay. It, it, that happened to you, but it's not happening to you now. You can open your heart to the love of God and ask God, I, tell him, Lord Jesus, I want to accept your love for me. I want to accept your gospel. I want to repent of my sins. And believe me, we all need to come to a point in our life where we take responsibility for our actions. We have to do this. This is one way of keeping peace. As long as I'm blaming everybody else around me for my actions, I never have to get any better. I never have to grow. And it's everybody else's fault. And I can't grow because I'm not admitting that I need growth. So I need to take responsibility for my actions you know, if I did something as a little child and I got hurt as a consequence of it, I can't blame my brothers and sisters for it. I can't blame my, fa- my, my parents, although I might. Well, why didn't you protect me? Why didn't you take care of me? You know, and it's like, you know what, honey? I, your parents probably did the best they could. Your brothers and sisters did the best they could. But make an act of the will to say, you know what, Lord? Yeah, this happened to me in my life. It's had a terrible effect on me. I, it still hurts me. But I can offer that to you, Jesus. You suffered. You didn't shy away from suffering. You didn't come to remove human suffering. You came to fill it with your presence. You came to teach us about your love. You came to establish your church. And in your church, you give us these sacraments, the seven sacraments, which are instruments of grace. And there is only one baptism. So any Christian who is baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit by pouring water on their head or by sprinkling water on them or immersing them in water, to, to, you know, as you, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, they're all, they're, we're all one in Christ. That baptism unites us to Christ. But in addition to that, he gave us you know, confirmation, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Eucharist himself, the body, blood, soul, and divinity, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's really present in the Eucharist. He nourishes us. He said in John 6, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life in you. And then at the Last Supper, he instituted the Eucharist. He took the bread and said, this is my body. This is the Son of God speaking. When God speaks, it happens. Remember, God didn't create the world out of existing things. God created the world out of nothing. He spoke the word and it came to be. That's how it works. So when Jesus said over the bread, this is my body, that's what happens. It is his body. And when he says over the chalice of wine, this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. This is God speaking. And when a priest offers holy mass, we as Catholics believe that it is Jesus Christ, the head, 
who acts in and through that priest by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not the priest who's saying, this is my body. It is Jesus himself. Father Calloway talks about this in his conversion. He was at a mass and he heard the priest and he had no clue about the faith. He had no clue about the faith. He had, he had just read a book on metagorgy and he was like, oh my gosh, I am in sin. I need to um, confess my sins to the Lord. He tried to confess his sins to the priest and the priest was like, wait a minute, you're not even Catholic. Okay, I have to go celebrate mass. Come, come and sit in the back of the church for mass. And, and he hears the priest say, this is my body. And he's like, wait, the priest just said, this is my body. And then a voice spoke to Father. He wasn't Father Calloway. At the, it was Donald Calloway at the time, a very lost young man. And the voice said, worship. And he was given knowledge. He was given what's called infused knowledge. And in that moment, he understood that it's not the priest at the altar. It's Jesus Christ himself who just said these words over the bread and has changed the bread into his own body, blood, soul, and divinity. And God is present here, and I need to fall down and worship. And then the priest took the chalice and said, this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. And again, Father Calloway heard the voice say, worship. And he was given to understand immediately that what had happened at the altar was that Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, had acted in and through the priest to change that chalice of wine into his own blood. So that now on the altar, God is present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity in his risen, ascended, glorified state, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is present. And although there's a man standing at the altar saying these things, it is Jesus Christ himself who acts in and through him. And how can this be? Because Jesus Christ established a church and that church is his body and he is the head of the body and he is the one who established the sacraments. So the sacraments are means of grace. And through the sacrament of the Eucharist, we fulfill the command of Jesus in John 6 that we eat his flesh and drink his blood. Not like cannibals, but in a mysterious way, we take, we receive, we don't take, we don't take, we receive. God gives to us what appears to be a piece of bread. It's not. It's the risen, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the whole Christ present under the appearance of bread and wine. And we receive him in the Eucharist because in John 6, he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life in you. And so he made it possible. The ultimate gift of love. He not only gave his life for us on the cross, he gives himself to us as food for our bodies and our souls because he is head of his body, the church. And he only have founded one church. There's only one church, the church that Jesus Christ established. And he gave seven sacraments to his church as means of grace. But because of the sinfulness of man, you know, we have, and we have it happening here in our world. This is the beginning of this letter talks about that. Unfortunately, in Germany, you have this synodal process where the bishops are saying, well, everybody gets to vote and decide what's going to be the moral teaching of the church, what's going to be the doctrinal teaching of the church. No, the moral and doctrinal teachings of the church don't come from man. They come from God. They were revealed. God reveals himself and he reveals what's good for us. And 
Martin Luther rebelled against the church. He broke away. And it caused a great many to break away from the church. And so today we have 33,000 denominations. Everybody says, well, just read the Bible and we're all the interpreter of the Bible and we can... It's interesting. God have mercy on Martin Luther. You know, he told he told everybody, well, you can think for yourself. You read the Bible for yourself. You don't need the church to tell you. And then when the German peasants started doing that, Martin Luther told the princes of Germany, well, you need to go out and kill those peasants. This was after his after he separated himself from the Catholic Church. Why? Oh, because it's going to cause chaos in society. Well, Martin Luther, you caused the chaos. You told every man he could think for himself and every man could interpret the Bible and follow it the way he saw it. And now you're saying that to those who do that, they, they need to die. Why? Because you can't have this chaos. Jesus Christ didn't establish chaos. He established order. But part of that order is obedience. And just as Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father, and that obedience is rooted in love, it's not rooted in fear, it's not rooted in slavery. If we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And if the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. But if we sin, we are slaves of sin and we have no permanent place in the Father's house. We are members of the body of Christ because we have been baptized into Jesus Christ. And yes, it's good to say the prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, open my heart to receive all the love you want to give me because it's about love. Faith working in love. And working in love, what does it mean? What did he say at the last judgment? I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you sheltered me. I was sick or in prison and you visited me. Our faith has to be put into action. Read the letter of James. Faith without works is dead. But he's not talking about the works of the old law. He's talking about the works of charity that we do for one another out of love because we see Christ in one another and we serve Christ in one another. We are members of his body. All of us who are baptized are members of the body of Christ and all of those who sincerely want to believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as their Lord and Savior and don't know the fullness of the truth yet, but try to live a life according to his will, God will give you the grace. Ask him for the fullness of faith. Ask him for the fullness of love, for the fullness of faith, hope, and charity. Every day, ask the Lord to increase our faith, hope, and charity. I want to thank all of our benefactors, all of those who donate to us, all of those who pray and sacrifice for this work. We couldn't do this work without God's grace. We need prayers and sacrifices, and we also need the financial help, so thank you. And thank you to all the radio stations that pick us up. And thank you for joining us and for sharing this. I know you're going to share this. So there's a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Have your friends join us.